Welcome to the Just Off Glen podcast with your host, Christy Alexander, where we talk to the movers, shakers, and change makers. Just Off Glen. Hi, listeners. Welcome back for another new episode of the Just Off Glen podcast, and thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Christy Alexander, owner of WorkSmart Coworking and Meeting Space in downtown Glens Falls. Today, we're kicking off the start of Earth Month with my guest, Bill Richmond, chief composter and worm wrangler of the Adirondack Worm Farm. Hey, Bill, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Christy. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Well, I thought we'd get started by um, uh, playing a little bit of Earth Day trivia. Okay. So, question, most of the Earth's breathable air comes from where? The ocean. The ocean is the right answer. And we did discuss that a little beforehand, and it sound, seemed kind of baffling, but nevertheless, that's the answer. So um, next question is, who took a zero-carbon voyage from Europe to the United States to raise awareness of climate change? That was Greta Thunberg. Yes, that was Greta. She became quite popular all of a sudden. Um, and the last question, when did Google introduce their first Earth Day doodle? You know, when you open up Google and they've got, you know, happy birthday too and a little bit of a doodle above the search bar there. Sure. So uh, when do you think they introduced their first Earth Day doodle? Uh, I'm going to, I'm not totally positive, but I'm going to guess 2011. Close. You were close, considering that around 1970 is when we first started, um, when Earth Day first started to become popular and celebrated. But the answer to that is 2001. Ah. So not too far off. But um, the annual Earth Day doodle for 2021 was created to highlight how everyone can plant the seed to a brighter future. And I did Google... Um, I'm sorry, plant the seed to a brighter future one sapling at a time. So it was a, they were planting a tree there. Um, and I did Google what the 2022 uh, doodle will be for Google. I came up with nothing. So uh, to be revealed. A surprise. <laughs> right. However, the theme for Earth Day 2022 is invest in our planet, which is quite fitting for the topic of conversation today. So on that note, I'm very interested to hear more about your business, and I can't wait for our listeners to know more about what you do as well. So can you share a little bit about your business, Bill? Sure. Well, thanks very much for having me, Christy. Of course. Um, I started Adirondack Worm Farm in 2019, and initially we started just on truly the worm farm side with red wiggler worms and having them consume some what most people would consider waste. Either mm -hmm. they, they can eat either food scraps or manure, and then they produce worm castings, which is another nice way to say worm poop. Okay. But that is an excellent material for the garden, for, for your plants, for flowers, uh, even for bushes and things like that. And so gardeners that want to avoid chemical fertilizers will use something like worm castings, or vermicast that we call it. Okay. Um, but as we started to get more worms, we started thinking about, well, how are we going to get enough material, enough food for the worms to eat? 
And so just talking with a couple of folks, we thought, well, we can take food scraps from, from other people. And just mentioning that to one or two people, they were so excited that something like a curbside composting service that exists in many other cities around the country, but was not in this area at all. So I said, oh, I can do that. So that's now we have kind of two lines of business. We have the worms, which actually we feed them consistently horse and cow manure from a neighboring farm on our road. Okay. Just to keep the consistency of the vermicast year round, a, a good quality. Okay. And then the, the food scraps that we collect through our curbside composting program, we comp- compost those through a hot process so that we kill any of the pathogens, weed seeds and things like that. Uh, and then we, do that throughout the, from Lake George to Glens Falls, Queensbury, Fort Edward, South Glens Falls, Hudson Falls area. Okay, great. Let's break it down a little bit for our listeners and for myself and help us understand. Um, let's take uh, the composting business first. Sure. So um, how do people go about getting in touch with you um, if they've got food they want to start composting? Let's start there. Sure. We have, everything is on our website, which is adirondackwormfarm.com. Okay, and, and we'll link to that in the show notes also. Great, yes, thank you. And folks can go there, and we have a list of compostable materials, which because we're a commercial composter, we can actually take things that I would never recommend people try to compost in a backyard pile, okay. which includes meat and dairy and uh, things like that, stuff that will break down, but it can be difficult to get the pile up to temperature and so you want to be careful doing something like that and you also risk you know bringing in some pests and things like that in, in the backyard if you're putting in some meat scraps and such sure and i would imagine um not being able to get the the pile up to temperature means that food is going to take longer to break down and so it's just going to sit there and really be an attraction to animals so yes. talk about the pile and the temperature Sure. What we do is we need the right ratio of carbon material or browns and nitrogen materials or greens. And so the nitrogen material is primarily the food waste. Okay. And and in fact, we're trying to get away from calling it food waste because it's really not a waste. It's food scraps. Okay. It's a good material that can produce an excellent end product if you do it the right way. If you you throw it in the garbage, then it is waste. But if you compost it, then it's going to produce compost eventually, and then you'll be able to use that in your garden and such like that. So what we do is we provide customers with a five-gallon pail, okay, and it, you can just put it wherever they're comfortable with, and instead of putting those scrapings from your plate after dinner or the fat that you cut off of, you know, the steak or, sure. you know, the, the peels from the carrots and the, you know, the skins from, you know, other Potatoes, materials, yeah. all that stuff <laughs> can go in the compost bin. Okay. And then we collect that from the curbside and leave you a clean bin in, in its place. And it's amazing how quickly this adds up. Just really as a, as a very small business, we have composted 23 tons of material in the last two and a half years. Oh, wow. So you pick up the food scraps and you bring them to your location and you, you dump them all out onto the pile. Yep, we okay. the, we take all the food scraps and then we take a carbon material, which we have a pile of wood chips. Uh, we also collect uh, shredded office paper. Okay, and we mix the right ratio between the food scraps and the office paper and the and the wood chips, and then have that in a pile, and then we cover that either with compost that's already 
uh, gone through the process or with more wood chips, something to kind of keep everything sealed in and okay. prevent any odors. And then the pile reaches up to between 140 and 160 degrees. And we turn that several times through the process. And then over about six weeks or so, we end up with nothing recognizable in terms of food waste other than maybe some bones or some pits and things like that, Okay, which will eventually break down, but take a long time. But you're not going to find any apple cores. You're not going to find any banana peels or bits of meat or anything like that in the pile after about six weeks of that kind of temperature and, and the consistent turning process. Okay. So, um, and uh, initially when you were telling me about this, I had this picture of somebody out there with a, fitch po- a, a pitchfork just turning this pile and turning this pile. But you explained that you do actually, you've, you've invested in um, a tractor that has a bucket and that does the turning because I, I would imagine this is quite a large pile. Yes. Um, there, there's no way I'd be able to turn it on my own. Uh, okay. My wife would find me out there passed out next to the right. pile. <laughs> uh, Nobody wants that. No, but, but that's also part of how we're able to get the temperature. Um, you can have the perfect mix of carbon and, and nitrogen materials in your backyard pile, but still not get up to at least 131 degrees, if not that 140 to 160 degree temperature. Okay. And the reason is because you don't have the mass of material. You know, mm-hmm. you can have a perfect ratio, but if it's not at least three foot by three foot by three foot, uh, it's just not going to be able to heat up. And a lot of people think, well, what's heating it up is the sun. So if I can just get it in a, in a sunny location, or I can't do it in the winter because it's too cold, but once it gets into the warm weather, that'll help heat up the pile. The pile actually heats up because of the microbes that are decomposing the material in the pile. They, a side effect of those microbes and their activity is the heat. So we get piles up to, you know, 140 to 160 when it's, you know, 5 or 10 degrees outside. Um, okay. And it, it's it's pretty neat, actually, when we turn those piles to see the amount the, of steam the coming The steam, off. yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Oh, very cool. Well, in a minute, I do want to circle back and talk about your education when it comes to all of this, because it's, to me, it's a bit mind boggling. And this isn't um, information that comes easily to me. And it's not your day job. So I can't wait to share more with our listeners about how you learned this information. But let's switch gears and talk a little bit about the worms, which I did see. And you, you call them red wigglers. Right. And they, and they're actually red and they're, they're kind of cute. I wouldn't normally say that about worms and you'll never hear me saying that about a snake, but, um, they're tiny and they're red. So let's talk about the worms. Sure. There are just a handful of species of worms that do this composting kind of work. And it's actually called vermicomposting, which is different than the traditional hot composting we just talked about. There are about 9,000 species of earthworms in the world and only a half dozen that are composting worms. Okay. So, you know, if you find worms out on the sidewalk or in the driveway after a rainstorm, you're not going to be able to just take those and put them in a worm bin and have them compost your apple cores and banana peels and such. It's just not going to work. Okay. We're going to save those for fishing then. Yes. Right. Right. And, and these red wigglers are actually, as you mentioned, smaller. Like if most people are familiar with those larger earthworms, or mm-hmm. if you're going fishing and you get Canadian nightcrawlers, those things are gigantic. These red wigglers are much smaller than that, but right. they're, they're pretty good eaters. So, you know, you want to set up a worm bin. And if you do this properly, you keep this in your house and 
you can have it in a laundry room or in a closet or wherever you want. And it's not going to have an odor. You're not going to have issues with flies and things like that. You know, you won't know that the, the worms are really working there. But over time, as you put in those items and they, the worms decompose those, and then you end up with the castings or the vermicast, and you use that in your plants or your garden, you'll see tremendous results. And how, talk about the method of sifting the casting. Sure. There, there's a couple of different ways that worm bins are set up. And some of the larger ones are what's called continuous flow-through bins. And those are the kinds that we use on the larger production scale. The worms, because they're composting worms, they, in, out in nature, would normally eat the decaying vegetative matter on the floor, on the ground. So they're in the top six or so inches of the ground and the okay. soil, and that's where the material is that's decaying, the, you know, the, the leaves that might have fallen or the plants that died off or such like that, um, any of the, the droppings from animals and things. Okay. Um, the earthworms that dig deeper uh, are very beneficial, and uh, there's n- no issues whatsoever with those. Those are great, but they eat minerals and, and particles in the dirt and dig deeper and, and burrow further down. So that's the difference. So on the the flow through continuous flow through bins, we collect the castings from the bottom, and the worms are living higher up in that bin. Okay. So that makes that easier process. You're not disturbing the worms. For most folks that are going to have a worm bin at their house, you have probably a, a, a tote bin, like a, an 18 gallon plastic Rubbermaid tote type of thing, and everything is all within that that environment. So when you have castings in there that you want to collect. You'll dump everything, all the contents out onto, you know, the, the floor or a tarp or an old table, whatever you have. Have a light source over top of that. And the worms, knowing that light is no good because normally that would mean the sun, which is going to dry them out and they right. die, they burrow into the pile. So, okay. you, so you sort of set it up almost like a pyramid. They'll burrow into the pile. Then you just scrape off the castings that are on the top. Wait about 10 minutes or so after you see some worms. When you scrape it off, you'll start to see worms. Wait about 10 minutes. Those guys on the top will burrow further in. Deeper, okay. Repeat that process a couple of times. You'll have all your castings off to the side, some unprocessed material that can go back in the bin, and your your ball of worms really in the center that you can restart another bin. Okay. So that's um, much easier than, than one would think. It's not opening the bin and trying to go through and, and pick anything out. Right. It's, that's a much easier separation process. And um, so if someone were interested in um, raising these worms, you supply the bin. They can get in touch with you. Tell me a little bit about that process. Sure. Um, we have a uh, what we call a worm bin starter pack. Okay. That, um, and folks can find it on our website. It's, it's an 18-gallon plastic tote. And it comes with the, the bedding at the right moisture. Uh, it's got holes already drilled into the sides for aeration. And it's got uh, everything that you need to get started. Um, and, and with, you know, probably 150 to 250 worms. Um, it's not the same as buying a pound of worms. But if you buy a pound of worms online, then you have to set up your bin. And do I have the right moisture? Do I have the right level for aeration? What are, how, you know, is the bin, how is all this set up? This is all ready to go. And then you just build upon it from there. So it's a true starter pack. Right. That's awesome. And what's the price point for that? That's uh, $39.95. Okay. And I loved you explained to me that um, these worms are self-regulating. So you're not going to put these worms in the bin 
start this process and find that you're just, this bin is overwhelmed with worms. Right. The, the worms will be the most well-behaved pets that you might ever have, <laughs> if you want to call them a pet. Uh, it sounds like it because they don't smell bad and uh, you don't have to take them out for walks or right. anything like that. You just make sure that the, the temperature where they're at is regulated nicely and they're, they've got a dark space. Yep, they, they don't they don't make any noise. They right? don't scratch your furniture. <laughs> um, they don't have accidents on the carpet. Um, they and and of course, you know, what do you have to to buy for them once you have them going? Nothing really, because the bedding is similar to the traditional composting. You've got your browns and your greens. It's kind of similar with a worm bin. So the bedding is a brown material. And well, I don't have leaves, or I don't want to bring in leaves from outside that may have some bugs in them. That's fine. What you can use is ripped up cardboard, shredded office paper, okay. uh, uh, you know, cardboard tubes that uh, from toilet paper or paper towels, anything along those lines. Okay. And you have the bedding moistened to the point of, like when you take the wash out of the out of the washing machine, you know it's wet, but you're not really going to get much out of it if you wring it out. You're not right. maybe a drip or two at the most. Right. Um, that's the moisture content that you want for the bedding. And then the food, you're putting in just a little bit of food scraps. You, you want to let the worms be your guide how much food you give them. You bury it underneath some bedding. That prevents any concern for fruit flies and things like that. And then the worms will take care of everything. They learn very quickly how many worms are in their bin, how much space do they have, and how much food is coming in. And so they say, hey, we've got room to grow and expand our population. So they're breeding and they're growing and adding more worms and baby worms and such. Um, but they're not going to overwhelm you. If they are smart enough to say, hey, our population is such, and the amount of space we have, and the amount of food that we're getting, we're going to just basically stop breeding and maintain our levels essentially where we are. So you're not going to get overrun by worms. All right. And if you want more worms, then you just take half the worms out of that bin, start them in a second bin. Then both bins, the worms will say, hey, we got more breathing room, we've got more space, the foods keep coming in, so we'll start breeding again. Okay. And the really neat thing about worms, a bunch of things, but one of the really cool things is when worms mate, they lay cocoons. And actually, they're hermaphrodites, so both worms get pregnant, if you will, and, okay. and lay cocoons, which have, on average, one to three baby worms in the cocoon, basically like an egg. After 21 days, on average, that hatches and the baby worms come out and then you know, they start to grow. However, the, cat, the cocoons can sense if the environment is such that the baby worms are likely to die. So if, the, if your worm bin or, or the conditions where they are has uh, become too hot or too cold, too wet or too dry the cocoons will essentially go into kind of a stasis and they just won't hatch. That, that doesn't last forever, but um, they, they will hold for several months at least and wait to see uh, if the conditions improve and there's a better likelihood that the babies will survive, that's when they will hatch out the babies. That's amazing. Um, it's, you know, scientists don't quite understand how they do it, but, um, you know, it, it seems fantastical and, and really cool, which it mm -hmm. is, but if you say, well, that, that doesn't seem that's a bit much. How in the world does a cocoon know this? Think about how a seed, if you have a seed and you have it in a dry envelope, it's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. But if you put it in, in moist soil right. and give it some sunlight and give it a little bit of water, then it will germinate. So right. it, it's along those kind of correlations. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, an amazing pet and, uh, an amazing opportunity to, uh, 
to learn and to teach young children, looking at you homeschoolers and parents of small children. Uh, I know this is something my children would have loved to have had in our home for sure. So, oh, go ahead. Well, the the other benefit to the worm bin, you can't compost as much material, as much food scraps as you would in an outdoor compost pile. Sure. But... You can do it year round without having to put on the snow boots and shovel out to the pile somewhere or go out when it's, you know, sleeting or freezing rain and such like that. It's all in your house. It's very simple. So, you know, you can you can just continue to compost over and over, you know, year round without any issues. Right. Great point. So let's back up a little bit to um, the very beginning when you had this initial idea. And how did you go about um, exploring it further and teaching I'm assuming that your this information is all self-taught. Yes, yep. Okay. I didn't go to school for this or anything, <laughs> um, but it's it's not worm inc- wrangling one hundred and one. <laughs> right, um, it, it's not incredibly complicated. Um, I mean, you have to be within certain parameters, but it's it's not uh, it's not particularly um, difficult to do. It just takes a little bit of practice and some learning. Well, what sure. I now I, th- I I agree with not not particularly difficult, but this is not not intuitive, and um, don't underestimate you, what you've learned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was starting, uh, you know, we we have forty acres out in Kingsbury, and th- there was a couple of things. One is all my life I may maybe instilled from my my grandmother. You know, don't waste. Just uh-huh. I mean, and you know, I know people that. They, they eat a meal at home and they have leftovers. They just throw it away. Right. Like, well, that's leftovers. I don't want that tomorrow. I, I'll, eat, I'll eat leftovers two, three days after. Yeah. Because why? I love leftovers. You don't want to throw it away, <laughs> you know. Um, we try to go into the refrigerator and, and look at that back of the bottom shelf and say, oh, oh, geez, I forgot about this, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, to, to waste things is, I, I just don't like it. Um, and we had this, we have this land. And so I wanted to see, well, let's do something. I like being outdoors and, you know, doing some research, uh, this seemed to, to make sense and it seemed like a, a good fit. Okay. Um, and so there was a, a, a lot of research and learning online and through books and such like that. And I took a couple of, uh, um, courses, online programs, not, not a, you know, uh, a college course type thing, but, okay. um, there's not a lot of college courses on vermicomposting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, you know, there, there's, there's a great, uh, community of vermicomposters out there that, uh, really worldwide. And, you know, you, you can get as, uh, you know, you, you can get in touch through Facebook with one of the, the world's largest vermicomposters in Australia. And, you know, if you have a, a run into an issue on your worm farm, He's more than happy to answer you. That's you know? amazing. So, uh, is that is that generally where they all connect? Is through Facebook, or are they um, are they on some other platform? Um, there's there's a an loosely affiliated association called the Worm Farmers Alliance. Okay, um, it sounds like a mafia thing. Not, <laughs> right. uh, worm mafia. And, yeah, and that's where um, most of the the serious worm farming folks, uh, join that worm farming alliance okay. and they have a private Facebook page and some okay. other things where, you know, there's, there's some resources as well as just the ability to interact. And, um, you know, I, I, I have yet to find anybody that says, um, I had to, f- I had to learn that myself. You figured out yourself. No, it's like, Hey, I already generous community. Yeah. yeah. I, I already st- stumbled over this and figured out how not to do it next time. Let me help you. 
That's awesome. That is the importance of community right there is just to be able to connect and to be able to hone your skills, get better at what you're doing, save yourself some time and energy, learn from others' mistakes. True. That's fantastic. And who would have thought that there's a worm community? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, okay. We talked a little bit about how you learned and what drove you to start the business. And I'm curious about what it's like to start a venture that people may not intuitively understand. How do you go about getting the word out and educating people about what it is you're doing other than the Just Off Glen podcast? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, it, and things like this are helpful and we started in terms of selling vermicast and offering the curbside composting service in 2019. Okay, but not long ago. No, but really uh, in 2018 is, is when we really started to move forward with things. And I started strictly with education. Um, we always offer totally no charge uh, programs for, for the you know community groups. We've, we've done programs at the library, at senior centers, at schools uh, for you know a, a Girl Scout troop. Um, we're doing one for a church group later this month. And anything that we can do just to inform folks, and I don't do it as a sales pitch. I just do it to sure. explain to them. If people say, you know, that's great, and but I want to set up my own bin and have a full pound of worms, which we don't sell, good, go ahead and buy them online and, sure. and that's fine. If you sure. want to do the composting, but just in your backyard and not the full extent of, of what we can take, that's okay. You know, you, you're not throwing stuff away. Have you ever thought of um, creating a community for the individuals that purchase your starter pack on the, on the, you know, the idea of that? Um, have you ever thought of connecting them and allowing them to, uh, y- you know, talk about the, the excitement of it all and uh, maybe some troubleshooting so that they don't have to pick up the phone and call you every time? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's a great idea. Um, I, I haven't actually done that. There are a number of Facebook groups, um, public Facebook groups, not the professional worm farming Alliance folks, um, where people do that kind of thing. And they say, okay. you know, I learned this and I learned that, but, um, yeah. And, and I tell folks when they, you know, when they purchase anything from us that, um, just shoot me an email or a text or give me a call. Um, you know, and I'm always happy to try to make sure that, that they're successful in whatever it is they're trying to do. Oh, that's awesome. Do you have any um, previous business owning experience? Is this your first venture? This is my first. Yep. Wow. That's and I'm, exciting. And I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I, I do this on a, on a scale that's manageable and I never want to overpromise something and then not be able to deliver that to customers. You know, on the curbside composting, we specifically call it a, the curbside composting concierge service. Just we, we given you a clean bin when we swap out and pick up your full bin um, you know, we send email reminders to folks the day before the pickup. So just, you know, a couple of things to try to make sure people know what's what and, and keep up to date. And we also provide them with quarterly reports so that they know exactly how many pounds of material they've put through the composting process with us rather than the trash stream. And we, we offer the, you know, information on what that equivalent is in terms of how many gallons of gas you saved or how many miles not driven because Compost is actually one of the best ways to reduce your carbon footprint uh, or impact global warming and and that kind of thing. A lot of people talk about, um, you know, I want to get an electric car or put solar panels on or, or, you know, get a bicycle and, and drive less, all of which are great. 
but they're not always all practical for either cost reasons or, or other reasons. Um, and the, the amount of carbon dioxide that's emitted from cars is an impact, right. but you also have to be able to drive. You know, I'm, I don't say, you know, I, I, I'm not the kind of person that goes out there and protests about things and tries sure. to tell other people, you shouldn't do this or you should do that. What I look at is, well, if there's a way to do something different, maybe I can offer that to folks. And if they're interested, then I can help them do it. And, and you know, um, not going to become a millionaire doing this by any stretch, but right. at, at least not lose the house doing it. You know? Sure, sure. Uh, I, so so that's how we, we do that. But And it, it is amazing how quickly it builds up. Uh, you know, right. we have commercial customers as well. And, you know, a lot of businesses say, well, we want to, you know, be more green and lower our carbon footprint and such like that the amount of material that goes to a landfill, and in our case, it goes to the, the trash burn plant here, but in Saratoga County and other places, food waste in a landfill sits there and rots and releases methane gas, which is far more potent than carbon dioxide in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. So if you are reducing the amount of material that you're sending to a landfill from food, then then you are significantly impacting what your carbon footprint is. You, you are drastically reducing that. Um, you know, and I, I just brought one statistic because um, I knew I wasn't going to remember it specifically, but um, one, one of our commercial customers in about a month has composted 986 pounds of food scraps. And that's the equivalent of taking a car off the road for 217 days. Oh, my goodness. So it, it, it adds up quickly. And That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And so we try to provide these reports. Well, we, don't, we, we do provide these reports on a regular basis to our residential customers as well as our business customers. And then they can use that and, and show others this is, this is what we're doing. And, you know, the amount of work that they have to put in is, you know, when, when you're going to the employee cafeteria or when you're going to your garbage pail, instead of, you know, going to the pail, you go to the compost bin. That's it. Right, right. So uh, how do you supply that information to them? Do you do that via a newsletter, like uh, periodically or? We, for our residential customers, we send them an email once a quarter. Okay. And for our business customers, we send them an email once a month. Okay. All right. And uh, I would imagine that that really empowers them to keep doing what they're doing. And, um, you know, after having given it some thought, I remember back when my children were little and we did the recycling. And so if you combine the recycling and the, the food composting, you really have very little left to put in the garbage bin for pickup or to go drop off. Yeah. It, it's estimated that, you know, probably, um, 50% of what you throw away can actually be composted. And then wow. if you add in what you can recycle, um, you know, y you're down to maybe 10 or 15% of what most people are throwing away is actually trash. Yeah, you know, that's you, significant. Yeah. That's very significant. Because you can compost more than just the food scraps. You know, if you, if you have, like I said, cardboard, a lot of people get cardboard. Now you can recycle that, so that's fine. But some, mm -hmm. we actually have some folks uh, out in Washington County that they can't, their their service doesn't compost or it doesn't uh, recycle cardboard. Okay. And so they bring it to us. Okay. You know, uh, and it, it rather than throw it away, uh, you know, there's there's what's compostable. Anything that that's ever grown is compostable, and if you take that way back so you think well cardboard never grew well what's cardboard made out of paper what's paper made out of trees <laughs> it grew 
you know. I'm, a, I'm a, so embarrassed to admit that you did have to take me down that path. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it goes it goes back right for you know a lot of things. If you think about it, um, most not most, but some of the clothes that people wear are compostable. Right. You know, now if you've got nylon in there or some other synthetic, it's not. But right. if it's a if it's a hundred percent cotton T-shirt, that was cotton that grew. It's right. compostable. Right. What are some of the um, frequently asked questions, if you will? What are some, uh, maybe some misconceptions that you can clear up for us, either about the uh, the composting or the worms? Sure. One that I mentioned in terms of the composting already is that people think it's the outside temperature that causes the pile to heat up. If you want to get a hot compost pile, it has nothing to do with what the outdoor temperature is or how much sunlight it's getting. It's really the microbes that are making the difference there. Okay. On on the worms, um, the, two big questions we get. One is, you know, how much do I feed them? And you want to let them be your guide. You know, okay. You, you want to put a, a small amount in one corner of your bin and see how the worms are dealing with that. And you only want to feed them maybe about once a week because they also eat their bedding. So if they eat all the food, they're not going to starve. They, they oh, eat okay. the bedding as well. Okay, that's good uh-huh. to know. So in terms of feeding them, is that um, bringing them those those kitchen scraps like potato peels, banana peels, um, y- uh, you know, pieces of stalks of celery that you've chopped up? Yep. That kind of thing? A- any of those things are, are good. Um, okay. And, you know, a lot of people have, you know, somewhat squeamish about worms and such like that. But, um, you know, you can cut this stuff up. You can just... Scrape it into the bin and, you know, put a little fresh bedding on top of it and close it. You may never see your worms. You know, right. they're just in there working for you. Um, and you don't have to worry about them. I mean, again, to the point of them being an ideal pet, you're going to go on vacation for a month? No problem. The worms will still be fine when you come back. Um, and one of the things with our worm bin starter pack is that we don't put the air holes in the top, in the lid. We put them near the top but on the sides. Okay. Because... As the moisture in the bedding and the bin itself, some of it will evaporate. It goes up and condenses on the lid, and then it it drops back down into the bin. So you've got a self-contained system. If you have your holes in the lid, it'll evaporate out, and and eventually it may dry out some. Um, Which is, you know, you just need to keep it watered more frequently. It's not the end of the world, but um, really you don't need to do very much at all with the worms. But one other question that we get somewhat regularly is... You know, what about these uh, the things people are hearing more about in the news about these uh, invasive jumping worms? Right. There is there is some concern, particularly in, in the upper Midwest and the Great Lakes area. Um, these, these jumping worms uh, are certainly an invasive species, and they are very prolific and have actually, you know, worms are good, but if you have too much of anything, it's not good. Back again to my grandmother, everything in moderation. Right, right. Um, and... <laughs> So these worms are actually eating all of the decaying material on the forest floor too quickly and overwhelming the ecosystem. Um, Those jumping worms are not red wiggler composting worms. And we also work with European nightcrawler uh, worms. Again, neither of those are an issue where if if they got out, they're going to take over the environment. Um, They're just not suited for that. Um, So those invasive jumping worms are a concern. Um, there's some reports of some in in upstate New York. Um, it's not it's not as bad as in the Great Lakes at this point, but it's it's something to watch. But um, if you have red wigglers or European nightcrawlers, um, 
it's not really a concern that and, and most people would have them indoors in your bin anyway or in a sheltered area right, right. because the red wigglers and the european nightcrawlers both they really like conditions similar to what we like so 60 to 80 degrees is ideal for them um they you know they they want to make sure that, that there's um, oxygen and that they have food and and a shelter in the sense of you know bedding and, and things like that. Um, they also obviously need need moisture and they're going to eat stuff that's going bad. So not like us in those ways. Right. <laughs> well, we've focused a lot on the worms and uh, the worms are really exciting and it's it's fun to talk about. But what you're offering is really a true solution and something that can help us make a very positive impact on our environment and our daily habits. So I just want to break it down. We can get the worm starter pack and that comes complete with everything we need, including the instructions to get started on raising the red wigglers excuse me um and we can sign up for um the food composting and you're going to supply us with the bucket and you take care of the pickup and um you you are available for questions um and how does that get billed is that just a monthly automatic billing or do you invoice for that it it's automatic um we we bill through paypal but Actually, people don't need a PayPal account now. They can just put their credit card information in. But that way we don't, as a very small business, we're not responsible for, you know, trying to protect people's personal financial information. Um, so PayPal manages all of that. And okay. what we do is we provide them with the five-gallon bucket. Most customers do one five-gallon bucket every other week for our biweekly program. Okay. Um, and that's twenty one fifty a month. And so that just is billed automatically. And then uh, if people wanted a little bit more, uh, they have a slightly larger family, but still every other week is good for them. We do offer two buckets that people can take on a biweekly basis, and that's $29 a month. Okay. Um, And then if people wanted a bucket, but they want to pick up every single week, and that's fine too, that's $43 a month. And what we do for all of our customers is... After a year of service, we provide them back with a bag of compost, a, a cubic foot of compost, so that it really kind of closes the loop and you know gives yeah. them something that this was made literally from the food scraps that that you know you put in your bucket. We're giving back now to you something useful and valuable. That's awesome. That is so fantastic. You know what, Bill? I'm so glad that you've come on the podcast because you are truly a mover and a shaker. Who would have thought? I would have never thought to do something like this. And uh, you're making a great impact. And I really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. So I'm going to link to all the information that uh, people will need to to go ahead and connect with you. <clears throat> and maybe I can... Um, get a couple of those uh, links to the Facebook groups so that people can check that out, the sure. ones that are open and available. Um, and uh, so we'll make all that information available. I'm so glad that you came on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. I think that everybody should sign up, and I think that um, we should continue to get the word out about what you're doing. Great. Well, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. My pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for today's episode. If you have any questions about the podcast or you know someone who's making a difference in our region, please take a minute to connect with us at justoffglen at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'll meet you next time. Just Off Glen. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded at WorkSmart Coworking and Meeting Space in downtown Glens Falls and produced by Black Mountain Visuals. 
Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Join us again next time. We'll meet just off Glen.